All right, welcome to Spring Office Hours, episode number 44, Spring Cloud Gateway. My name is Dan Vega. I'm your host today, uh, Spring Developer Advocate at VMware. And with me, as always, is my good friend, Deshaun Carter. Deshaun, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful. I'm here in Detroit. Uh, it's a great day to be a Spring Developer. Uh, as you can see, we are joined by a special guest today, Spencer Gibbs. Spencer, how are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Uh, to have you guys close to home. Yeah, so you're you're from the Detroit area? Yeah, I live about an hour away, so right. the Detroit metro, I guess. All right. Um, for those out there who may not have heard of Spencer Gibb, which is probably a very small audience, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, so... I just completed my ninth year on the spring team, um, which is now the longest place I've worked before. Well, it's funny, it's headed for company three, but same, <laughs> the same team. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about how you became part of the spring team? Because I like that story. Yeah, I sure. Tell a lot. <laughs> sure. So I worked. Uh, for FamilySearch, a family history genealogy website. And I was doing research onto uh, a NoSQL database. We were using uh, DropWizard, um, creators of Yammer, uh, created DropWizard, um, to drive the database, right? This was our test harness that pushed data into the database. I wanted to use Spring because I had used Spring for the last number of years and it didn't quite fit. And I was like, wait, this thing is open source. I can change it. So I said, well, okay, let's take out all the things that Spring does that are in Drop Wizard and plug in Spring to them rather than having to retrofit things. And the other thing we were doing is moving out of a data center into the cloud. So all of a sudden you need, what happens when a node goes down? and a new one comes up, how do, how do I know how to access that new yep. thing, right? So we were looking at Eureka and, and uh, Ribbon and those tools from Netflix too. And I thought maybe the Spring guys would be interested in this. So I submitted you know, my code and an abstract for Spring One and I got turned down with the response of, we're doing this thing called Spring Boot that we're gonna announce. So I got early <laughs> access to Spring Boot before it was announced, nice. but it was still a private repository and I got to see it. And and so they announced Spring Boot uh, in Santa Clara, yep. if I recall. Yep. Um, I was there. Meanwhile, I left Family Search for a startup and I was like, well, I still wanna do this other Netflix stuff because it's still useful, but now I'll get rid of my custom stuff that replace it with Spring Boot 1. So I kept going. Submitted again the next year. And this time I got a positive email. The track lead likes your talk and wants to talk to you about it. Nice. Track lead was Dave Sire. Um, if you don't know who Dave is, <laughs> long time Spring committer. I don't know how, like which of the Spring projects he's created and then moved on. And <laughs> I think he's got his hands, hands on everything, everything yes, yes. related to he, Spring, he yes. on the original Spring Boot team. <laughs> Dr. Dave Sire. Dr. David Sire, yes. <laughs> PhD in astrophysics, um, if I recall correctly. Anyway, so I get on Skype at the time, early morning, because I was in the Mountain West and he's in the UK, and we have a wonderful talk about what we think applications would look like in the future. And 
and he said, I was at Netflix last week, and we want to do this at Spring One and announce this. But I can't put you on stage because you're not a Pivotal employee. We are looking to hire someone to do this with me. Would you be interested? And I said, yes. And it was the first time I had ever like considered a job without talking to any of my family first. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, I was on the phone later that afternoon with uh, Brian Dusso, who led the spring engineering team for many years. Uh, we bonded over our, uh, I lived in Rhode Island for a while, which is where Brian lives. and. And in principle, we were ready. He's like, I don't have a position. I don't have an open position yet. We were just starting to do this. It took him a couple of weeks, but then I got an offer, and uh, I started in June of 2014. That's great. And by <coughs> spring one, Dallas, we had uh, something. You to were do. on stage. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't on the the main stage. Right. Dave did that. But yep. We 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 did a talk together announcing Spring Cloud. So. I like the story. Cool. It as. When I was an engineer at the time, it was inspirational. It was like, hey, I can be an engineer and you know, loving <clears> using Spring, Spring Boot. That's where I was. I was like, oh, well, if it can happen to him, then maybe, just maybe someday I could end up. And yeah, here we are. And so, yeah, so I mean, it's uh, another story of just kind of working on open source in general. Like, you didn't have an intention of moving to Pivotal at the time, but you know, because of the work that you were doing and the things that you were interested in, Two sides both said, wow, this is a really great fit. So, And I also didn't have a technical interview. because they, If you can avoid those, that's always a great <laughs> thing. Because <laughs> everything I had put was in a repo on, yeah. on GitHub, and they had already looked at it before they yeah. even talked to me. <laughs> that was your technical interview. <laughs> it was. It Here's was. my repo. Yeah. The list of PRs. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So we're we're here in Detroit. Uh, we're here for a Spring One tour. We're visiting with some great customers. Uh, I had a lot of great talks this morning. We had some great pizza last night. I'd never thought to put honey on pizza, but wow, it was great. Yes, it um, was. So yeah, we're going to do a little more exploring tonight after this, so that should be fun. Um, but we're here to talk about Spring Cloud, Spring Cloud Gateway. I figured a good place to start because I get this question a lot. And you know, when I first started looking at it, I had the same question, which was, there's this big Spring Cloud grouping of projects <laughs> if you go over to the website. Do you, know, do you know the exact number of them? I'm putting you on the spot, but I think it's there's a lot. Total, no. Okay, my, lots. My portfolio that I lead is, well, it's between 15 and 17. Wow. Because some of the projects <laughs> have have been end of life. Yes, yes. So uh, it's gone down, which is right. actually nice. Okay, so in general, though, if, if you had to give like a high-level 50-foot overview, what is Spring Cloud? So the... The original premise is, so to really describe it, we have to go back to what is Spring. Mm -hmm. Spring, so there's there's really two core tenets of Spring, right? The dependency injection framework, inversion of control, right? The Hollywood principle. I'll, you know, anyway, I'll call you. Um, <laughs> uh, so there's that. And then the other bit is, you know, if you look at REST template and JDBC template and those other things, and even the, the frameworks, you know, Spring MVC and, and everything else is, we're going to eliminate 
the boilerplate of all these things you have to do to get an application working. Mm -hmm. And each part of the Spring portfolio focuses on something different, right? Um, so when we talk about Spring Cloud, it's eliminate the boilerplate that comes up. The discussions today were fantastic. Both Layla, Nate, you and Nate, every time you move to a distributed system, right, there are trade-offs. Mm -hmm. There are complexities that get added. Yep. The point of Spring Cloud was to reduce the toil <clears throat> that you needed as a team to get to a distributed system. Cool. So just um, the, like, I think you put it a really good way. So the same way that we as uh, MVC developers today, like you could build a Spring MVC app from scratch if you wanted to, but why would you ever want to do that? That'd be very hard to like figure out all the dependencies that need to go into that, all the configuration that needs to go into that. So same way for the cloud. I, I'm guessing you could build and deploy an application to the cloud without any help from Spring. But, from scratch, but absolutely. From scratch. But wow, I can't even imagine like where to start and how complex that would be. So Spring Cloud is just helping us get build and deploy our applications to the cloud. We are doing this live. Uh, Akuma 8 says the sound is really low when Spencer speaking. So thank I you, will. Akuma 8. We will try to speak up. Yeah, sorry. We are three guests on one microphone today. We have not figured out our traveling roadshow yet, but we're getting, we're we're getting there. We're, we're getting we're there. Iterating. Yep. We're getting better. Cool. Okay, so that's Spring Cloud. Uh, we came here to talk a little bit about Spring Cloud Gateway today. So um, we know what Spring Cloud is, but before we get into Spring Cloud Gateway, let's talk about an API gateway in general. So when we're building applications for the cloud, what is an API gateway? Why might we need one? What are some use cases for it? Yeah, so when I first started talking about them, I presented a continuum of things that you might put between a client outside of your network accessing things in your app as part of your application mm -hmm. right you've got something like uh, a hardware load balancer that likely sits in front of any data center network right mm -hmm. this is an f5 or something similar that it gets traffic and it knows how to route to the right places, yep. right? Very high performance, very difficult to customize. Then you have something like Nginx or HAProxy or even just Apache HTTPD, right? These are things that can route to the right place. They're a little more flexible as far as configuration goes. Um, hardened, right? These things have been around for decades and they're really well, you know, hammered and hardened and things like that. But if you want to customize them, sometimes you have to drop into a language like Lua or something that your developers not, might not be familiar with. <laughs> then you have your SaaS API gateways. This is where you start to aggregate, like, you're up a level of abstraction, mm -hmm. not just raw traffic requests, whether yeah. that's HTTP or TCP, that some of these other handles. Now you're talking about application level abstractions, right? Okay. And those are, are interesting and useful. 
they have kind of become the new ESB, right? Like if you want to make a change to one of those, you have to file a ticket and things. And so Spring Cloud Gateway and before that Zool, we can talk about that in a minute. But <laughs> the idea of this was here is a proxy, a gateway that your teams can deploy. So it's not a ticket, it's a, it's a deploy, right? Mm -hmm. It's an app. Yeah. It's just a Spring, Spring Boot app. And, right, you can move at the speed of your API gateway team. Yeah. Or if it's embedded at the speed of your application team. Um, and if you want to customize it, it's Java or Kotlin, mm -hmm. if you so prefer. Or YAML. Or YAML, yes, if you want to be a YAML programmer, it can be all that. <laughs> um, but basically, put this in the hands of, of the developers as opposed to operators. All right, and so this is so this is sitting in front of our applications now. If I'm just if I'm just deploying one single monolithic application, then I may not need something like this, right? Or I could, um, well, I could still use it, right? right? There's lots of other uses, just yep. beyond just routing traffic. That's so true. So. Yes, even even in a monolithic application, you know, we've seen users that um, that have well. They, Anyway, we can get into distinctions, but embedded Zool, for example, and eliminated, you know, cores requests because it's all to the same domain. Yep, yep. And we let Gateway handle those things, even even in a single application. So there are multiple applications, but... Uh, cool. So, so one of the things I can do is um, I can basically rewrite the request that comes in. So um, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can do that in Spring Cloud Gateway, but a request comes in, I need to change something about the request, maybe change the, you know, whatever service I'm going to call, add some headers to it. Uh, if I want to do some cross-cutting concerns on the gateway, like security or logging, I'm doing all that stuff in one place as opposed to many services downstream, which is always a good thing. Um, what are what are some like what are the big use cases like what do you find you, customers you hit the for? nail on the head right cross cutting concerns yep. uh, you know VMware manages there's a commercial distribution of Spring Cloud Gateway and that is one of the big things is yep. that security is is baked in and uh, at you know I've been to banks and seen presentations where this is where the security starts and they built their whole framework. You know, it integrates with spring security, which is awesome yeah. because that is, you know, you just plug into that and then all your other spring applications have the same, same thing. So security is big. Um, resiliency mm. is another one, right? This yeah. is one place where you can defend against problems in the back end, whatever those happen right. to be. Right. Um, okay, so that's Spring Cloud Gateway. What, um, do you have any other things you want to kind of touch on there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other recipe that I see a lot of with Spring Cloud Gateway is rate limiting. Mm. Rate limiting, like in the easy, like, hey, let's plug it in and let's control access. Um, the, some of the scar tissue that I had was we talked about it, the F5 having to get those rules set up mm -hmm. and the tickets and you know, you stay around a company long enough that maybe they give you access to write your own <laughs> stuff. Um, but one of the others was uh, traffic and doing things like uh, separating consumers. Like, hey, this consumer can hit uh, this pool of resources, right. so it can hit the other. 
but the other one is the, is the rate limit. Like at peak traffic, uh, we want to kind of keep things fair mm -hmm. and yeah, be able to rate limit. So these are some of the again, scar tissue that I had yep. that kind of brings me along this story. You know, going from the F5 to being able to say, hey, route this big A app over to this set yep. and then let that big A team uh, handle all the routing. Yeah, the, the, the rules around it. The original rate limiting that we we added. There's a blog post from Stripe, which is the financial API of, of the, many of many sites on the internet of I the guess. web. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they wrote, and they actually open sourced some of the things they they did. And so I took that. Theirs was all in Ruby, but the back end was Redis and a Lua script in Redis. So we took that. We added it to the gateway. Um, I think the commercial team has another implementation that they use, so they don't use Redis. I believe they use Hazelcast. And so one of the difficulties with it has been you don't have a lot of choice as to what... So the reason you need a backend is because you're not going to run one gateway instance. You're going to run multiples, and you need those statistics to be available to every instance of gateway. So you right. need something that is a distributed store to save all that. So in this year's release train, we are going to uh, integrate Bucket4j, which allows for pluggable backends to uh, do rate limiting. And so a little more, right now you get to configure uh, requests per second, and that's it. But with Bucket4j, any duration string that you can come up with, nice. you know, 10 requests a minute. Right or a hundred requests an hour <clears throat> nice. is something that you can you can do, and so that's uh, yeah. That'll be great. Yep. Yeah, and I know one of the one of the common questions we get on the show a lot is, hey, I have these three to ten microservices. You know, I don't want a customer to have to like figure out which one to call. Like, here's the customer service, here's the order service, here's the product service. Well, if you put all of those behind the gateway, now you have one service to call. And the gateway can now figure out how to route that request, right? And then again, you get all of the cross-cutting concerns in one place instead of trying to implement that same thing across all the services, which is not going to be very secure because something's going to go different. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, cool. So what are um, – I? we mentioned Spring Cloud Gateway uh, commercial. So there's an open source version of it. There's a commercial version of it. Uh, can you talk about some of the highlights of maybe the commercial version of why you might want to move to a commercial version? Sure. So it's available on two of our platforms. Well, one of our platforms and then generically for Kubernetes. Okay. So it's available on TAS, Tanzu Application Service, as a tile. Nice. Um, it's managed, right? So you don't deploy it it's all configuration and the nice thing there is that it is well integrated with the cloud foundation networking with uaa um, you configure it using all the same tools you use to configure apps and all that stuff um, so if if you live in taz that's it's just a fantastic way to go um, there's mtls between services when you use it, that um, and I believe that that carries over into the Kubernetes version of it as well. Um, yeah, so they're, like I said, automatic 
rate limiting is that's managed for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you get basically you get a service that's managed and has all these built-in features, and you don't have to nice to deal with. <laughs> one of the I think I heard one of the big uh, reasons to move to that too is the what's the service called when you want to like secure multiple ones uh, like SSL. SSO. That's what oh. I was trying to think of. Yes. Yeah, so SSL is another yep. big reason to move towards. And and it's integrated with. Yes, with with Eureka and things like that, and so there's there's additional security in those environments as well. So, so you keep mentioning um, some things like Netflix, Eureka, Zool. <laughs> um, so so back to your like origin story of joining Pivotal. You mentioned Netflix. Hey, we, we want to do some of these things Netflix is doing. Yep. Can you talk about like where where is Netflix in this whole story and some of these projects you keep mentioning? Yep. So the Probably the most relevant one here is is Zool. So Zool is and continues to be to be the API gateway for the Netflix streaming platform. Yep. All the mobile apps, all the TV apps, all those everything runs through Zool. Not the streaming, but everything right. else. Yeah. Um, so Zool one was basically a super simple framework. And it had some odd APIs. Uh, It was built long before they considered any kind of dependency injection, so lots of static singletons. (laughs) And integrating it was very hard, very difficult. Um, And it worked okay. So we basically, we used the Zool framework and we built an API gateway on top of it in Spring Cloud Netflix. Nice. Um, they blogged about their next version of Zool, Zool 2, and they released a snapshot of the code. And it was based on Rx Netty, so a wrapper over Netty based on Rx Java. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting. I went to a conference in Colorado called Defrag. In fact, it was the last, the last version, the last uh, of that conference. It no longer exists. But as an attendee, so I was yeah. not a speaker, so I didn't have to, uh, you know. You had no horse in the race. Yes, there. exactly. <laughs> you know, I got to listen to Brendan Gregg, one of the creators of Kubernetes, talk about Kubernetes and and I just got to sit and think and listen. And as I was doing that and looking at what we had done with Zool 1, at the time, we were also building Spring 5. Mm-hmm. We were right. also building, it wasn't even named Webflux yet. Yeah. Right? It was just Reactor was coming. We were bringing Reactor. We had, yeah, Reactor was coming into the Spring framework. Right. They were building what is now Webflux, so mm-hmm. I had seen it. And I went... Boy, the the user, the developer experience. If we try and integrate Zool two, it's I'm going to have to adapt everything because yeah. Zool two had representations of everything in HTTP. Um, and I thought, I wonder. So, sitting in a few sessions, I got out my laptop and <laughs> did a prototype. Could I build something on top of Webflux? And the reason I 
wanted to do it on top of Webflex is because it was non-blocking. Yeah. And for an API gateway, it was the perfect thing, right? Like mm -hmm. resources, it's all streaming, non-blocking, the event loop was perfect. Yeah. So I did a proof of concept. It worked. I wrote up maybe a two-page document in Google Docs, sent it to Dave Sire, Brian. He's <laughs> like, hey, I think that we should not try and integrate Zool 2, but we should build our own. We had basically already built our own with Zool 1, except for a small framework. And they said, great, go for it. And I was like, that's it? Okay. <laughs> and so, so that's how uh, Spring Cloud Gateway was born. And it was, it's built upon some of the plumbing that is in Spring Web and Spring Web Flux, mm -hmm. handler mappings and um, some other things that made it really easy to use, like server web exchange, which is where you access the request and response, right? Mm -hmm. I use that's in the signature of almost every API <laughs> that I expose in Spring Cloud Gateway, mm -hmm. right? So I got a lot of reuse out of that without having to reinvent the wheel. Cool. So I'm I'm glad you brought up Web Webflux because this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. So Spring Cloud Gateway, uh, if you're going to create a new Spring, uh, you know, a new gateway, you're going to have to understand how reactive programming works, how Webflux works. Um, some of it can be a little bit of an overhead for somebody kind of new to reactive programming, right? What if I, in the future, wanted to write a Spring Cloud Gateway that didn't have to deal with reactive programming. Yeah, so so one of the attractive things about Zool was that it was just, I think we deployed it as a servlet filter, not mm -hmm. you could do it as a servlet or servlet filter, anyway. But you could use it in a Spring MVC application. Right. When we moved to Gateway, you lost that. Yep. So you could only do it in a Webflux application. For a standalone Gateway, mm -hmm. not a big deal, like the, for, for example, if you're using the commercial version, you don't even know, you don't even care, right? Only if you start to write your own filters and predicates is where it, it would get this way. Yep. So there has been, since when, when I created Gateway, I listed oh, probably 40 things that I wanted to do. That I knew, That's it? that I knew, well, <laughs> The initially. Top. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so... And when he was done the next day... <laughs> and, and one of those things, I think it's issue like 32 or 33, was a version of Gateway that works in servlets or Spring MVC. Nice. And like I said, it's one of the oldest open issues in Gateway. And I purposefully not... So when you made it. that list, you actually made them issues in the project? Yes. Nice. Initially, they were just a checklist, and then mm -hmm. I moved them to issues. But yeah, so they could hang out on their own. Well done. And and I never, people asked, they... And what was the ask behind this? Was it just that move to reactive programming was like... So, so currently, we, Gateway only uses Netty as the runtime. Mm -hmm. Some orgs just don't support it. Okay. So there is another open issue to... Because you can run Webflux in Tomcat and Jetty. Yep. So there is so 
support for that. Others just don't want to support Webflux, right? They've been in servlets, they want to stay there, that's fine. Um, and it, it was never scheduled. Like we, we know it's there, we knew it was an issue. Of course, last year, you know, the big, all of the releases and us just getting to that finish line of, oh, of yeah. compatibility with framework six and boot three. Yep. And then we've, of course, we want to talk about this. Really, one of the big things to talk about in the JDK world is Project Loom or virtual threads. Um, and there have multiple pre-releases of it. And then finally, it was, it's only been a few months, I think. Well, it'll be final in JDK 21 in yeah, September. Right, but it was just only a few months ago yeah. that it was finally finalized. Yep, exactly. It was going to be in 21. Finally and and at that point, I went, okay, now that we're going to have this support. So part of the issue of Gateway versus Zool was the thread per request model of MVC yep. Yep. and the performance and scalability limitations that that entails. Yep. And that and wasn't that, hard to run into. No, 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 it wasn't. <laughs> and now, so so Gateway got around that with, with Netty, the event loop, and streaming, right? So now we have the way to overcome those in servlets. Right. And looking at the issue, it is the most, the single most thumbs up wow. issue in Spring Cloud that I have ever seen. Wow. <laughs> yep. And so we decided to schedule it and I have been happily working on it for, I think since April. Oh, wow. So it is in progress. That is awesome to hear. And it is a lot of fun <laughs> it is. to build. It has been a lot of fun. Is it? Is it been like a monumental change for you? Like, is it ground up work or so, you? So this is now the, it can't share anything with the existing Webflux gateway, not yeah. a thing because of the Webflux APIs that yep. are part of the signatures right. and all that. So they can't share anything. I tried, really, <laughs> I tried, but event like I'd eventually have to implement all of Webflux on top of servlets. Oh yeah, that so it fun. just didn't make sense, right? Yeah. Um, so, but it's now the third one I'm building, right? Because we we built one on top of Zool. Yep. We built Spring Cloud Gateway, on top Webflux, of and now we're building Spring Cloud Gateway. I'm calling it M Spring Cloud Gateway Server MVC. All right. It's what it's tentatively called, <coughs> and so where Gateway used some of the like core foundational pieces in Webflux, we have our own predicate API. We mm -hmm. have our own filter API. And so there's more and the configuration and everything is kind of built from the ground up on that side. So I am using more fine grain pieces from Spring Framework. Okay. So one of the things, so a lot of, whenever you see MVC, typically it's the annotation version. Yeah. There is another version. There right? is, yeah. There's springmvc.fn. Oh, this is the, I totally forgot about that. And there's webflux.fn. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So rather than at controller, there is a functional uh, way to write Routes. web apps. Yeah. 
And what do you know? They have a request predicate interface. All right. They have filters, a filter interface. And so I was like, I want to reuse as much of that yep. as possible yep. and even create less in the MVC gateway. Right. So it is all built on top of springmvc.fn. Nice. So the path predicate you get is from Spring Framework yep. and not <coughs> from Spring Cloud Gateway. Yep. Now the filters, there's a bunch of custom filters I've written, but they use the framework filter interface. So does that mean a filter or predicate that you write for Webflux can essentially work for MVC or no? no. Is it close? The, <sighs> I'm just thinking of like organizations out there that yes. maybe they have some. If you wanted to switch, it will be it will be a rewrite because okay. just because of the API. So yes. in um, a filter in Webflux, you get a server web exchange which has access to both the request and the response, and you return a, a mono void. In the functional world, it's it's literally just a, a function. The input parameter is the server requests, and you return the server response. Right. And so it's a, it's a totally different API. Okay. And again, it's eight. You can get to the HTTP servlet requests and the HTTP right. servlet response. Right. Um, as I've started to write the filters and so a few of the predicates that don't exist in framework, like there's maybe some of them. It's like. 90% of it yeah. I could have reused, but <laughs> when you, anything you, time you access the request or the response, mm -hmm. it's a totally different API yep. and you just wouldn't be able to, to reuse okay. it all. But it sounds like the, because of function, because of function, like the route config looks pretty similar then, right? So the other difference this time is that I started, when I built Spring Cloud Gateway, I started with the configuration first mm -hmm. and then added the Java DSL on top of it. Okay. So when you, if you go look at the implementation of a filter or predicate, there are methods that are implemented that give hints about how, when the configuration is read, you know, there's some shortcuts, there's definitions of parameters <coughs> and things and how they get serialized and, and things like that. So this time I'm, I, since I'm using, the other thing that uh, uh, mvc.fn has is a Java DSL. Mm. So I'm reusing that as much as I can as well. So I started with the pure Java. Um, there also aren't global filters. So if you want load balancing, you add the load balancer filter. If you, some of the things that are, are magic or hidden to the user in the Webflux, yep. you have to explicitly put them in uh, the Spring MVC one. So started with the Java DSL, but I wanted to have some compatibility with the configuration version. And so I've had to work through that, but it's a, it's a DSL first versus config first. And mm -hmm. that changed how I built, how I built things. Okay. 
So at the end of the day, I think one of the reason I brought this up too is because we've been talking a lot about virtual threads and Project Loom, and you know every every kind of talk that I give on virtual threads, people are like, "Wow, I didn't know that was coming!" Like that's really exciting. So I guess with this in mind, moving towards Spring MVC, will then Spring Cloud Gateway support virtual threads in that manner? So you could think of Spring Cloud Gateway as doing a lot of blocking operations. I'm calling a service. I'm talking to a database. These are all blocking operations that take up threads in our application. So I mean, the the HTTP client, right? Calling yeah. that is, it's. I mean, the in only purpose. things you have to operate on in a servlet yeah. are an input and output stream, which right. are inherently blocking. Right. right. Um, so it was interesting as I started to do the gateway. You know, one of my tasks was support post. Right. I need to make sure that the body of a thing can go through. And of yep. course, I. I wired up a test and it didn't work. And I went through my code and I was like, oh, yeah, I totally am not writing the body. And it's like, okay. Because in Gateway, I was working with multiple members of the Spring Framework team, the Reactor team, the Reactor Netty team yeah. to get it all right. Yep. It is not simple. Mm -hmm. It was a single line of code to get the body to work. Yeah. There's a, a utility class in Spring that operates on streams. Yep. And there's a copy method that mm -hmm. takes an input stream and an output stream. Yeah. And that was it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I'm glad, that, I'm glad you figured that out. Um, one of the things that we didn't talk about was like the gateway, that layer, that idea. Um, I also used it as kind of my aggregation point. I use it to do scatter gather. Yep. Uh, and again, the Zool proxy uh, ran into problems faster, right? Just by switching to Spring Cloud Gateway at that point, yeah, things improved uh, without running into the blocking limits. But now I'm thinking about modernizing a lot of those efforts with, with customers, orgs all over. That's kind of like the first piece. The Spring Cloud Gateway is the piece that allows us to say, hey, let's take a little bit off of your application, legacy heritage, legendary, whatever you want to call it, and let's try to improve it. And we use the Spring Cloud Gateway as the piece that says, hey, yeah, we're going to route this little bit over here. Yeah. And we'll leave the rest. And we use Spring Cloud Gateway to do that. It's like the first thing that comes in to a new project where we're trying to modernize legacy code. Yeah, step zero is simply put the gateway in front of the existing monolith and yes. do nothing else. And Wrap only, everything to it. I only recently realized that when you get the spring commercial support, I didn't realize that you get support for the commercial spring out gateway and spring out data flow. I literally just learned that. Like three <laughs> yeah, when, when you, if you, purchase or subscribe, I don't know how what it is. Yeah. You pay money for Gateway for the commercial team, you get support for the whole spring portfolio. Amazing. Amazing. And yeah. isn't yeah. the JDK in there too? Yep. yep. So you Basically you get VMware spring runtime yep. with the commercial spring products. Yep. Yeah. So great. Yep. Cool. Yeah, it's first. It it is kind of the the bar. Like hey once you are trying to do these 2023 modern apps, 
Hotel Gateway is in there 99% of the time. Yeah, and it's interesting because once you move it there, then you think about, okay, if I'm going to slice or my new piece of functionality, even if you don't ever touch the old one, right? If you want to build something new off to the side, it's like, okay, how do I secure it first, right? Like you could put the gateway in there doing nothing but literally proxying. Yep. Then you could add some security up front and then you can add the new piece and they can securely, you know. And things that we heard earlier today, like yeah. the weighted routing and all that kind of stuff. Like we can do a lot of these advanced modernization efforts and, and validation and, oh, hey, let's just route this traffic. We can do all those things because of Sprinkler Gateway. Yeah, another big use case I just thought of that we did at a, at a former client was, and we talked about it a little bit today, is, hey, anytime we stand up a public API, we don't want to change things a lot because we don't know what downstream services are using that. Well, at the gateway level, I can make that change, or I can make the change at the service level, right? As long as that gateway API stays the same, I can route that to the service and rewrite those services underneath the hood without changing the client contract. Yep. So I think that's another really great use case. Like if you know APIs are gonna constantly change and they're in that gateway level and we, you know, we could change them at the service level and, not, and leave them the same at the gateway level, so. Yeah, the, for the any new features that really came last year were primarily from the commercial team yep pushing their features into open source because, and all of them were customer requests. Yeah. So there's a filter to um, remove attributes from a JSON document, right? Say there's some identifiers yeah. or things that you don't want public, you know, just remove those. There's a... Uh, that makes sense. It's almost just like, hey, don't let these headers pass through. It's, JSON is so kind of fundamental to the data type. That makes yeah. absolute sense. There's take an HTTP request, but send it to a gRPC backend. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, okay. That makes Part sense. of the configuration yep. is pointing at, you know, the protobuf definitions and things. Yes. Yeah. So it takes a serializes the JSON to protobuf yep. and makes the requests on the back end. That's amazing. Yep. So we're currently on uh, Spring Cloud 2022.0.3. Yep. Um, that was a month ago that came out? Yep. It was a month, okay. I think 04 is like right on the corner. Um, Marcin is doing a, a 2021 release tomorrow. Oh, nice. There will be 2023.0.4 next month. And then prior to spring one, we will have a 2023.0 milestone. Nice. Wonderful. Based on, it may, it will likely be spring framework 6.1 milestone two and spring boot 3.2 milestone one. Right. What I Simon says, please toss in some resilience <laughs> I wrote that filter the other day. Look at that. <laughs> this is great. And it, yeah, it is drastically simpler to write filters and predicates for the MVC version. Wonderful. So we've thrown around those words a lot, filters Filter and predicates. Okay. Maybe Some somebody there. who is yep. coming to Spring Cloud Gateway doesn't know what those are. What so are those? a predicate is, so... 
the fundamental unit in the gateway is a route, mm -hmm. right? So I need to take an HTTP request and match it, determine where to send it, mm -hmm. right? That's the most fundamental thing gateway does. So yep. the predicate is how you match. Right. In Zool, it was severely limited. You could only match on path. You could then write a custom filter that additionally matched on something else, but it was very clunky. Yes. So one of the things I decided was, I want to be able to match on whatever you want, as long as it's part of the request, mm -hmm. right? So a predicate is literally just that. I want to match on path and you can it's, do anything. Queries, headers, headers, query parameters, yep. uh, host name, um, ports. In my head, uh, you know, there's Twitter and that some point I heard that Justin Bieber had his own servers because <laughs> he was so popular on Twitter and that's where all the Justin Bieber traffic went. We had routes, like, oh, if you were at looking Justin at Justin Bieber, Bieber like, we knew where that was going. Yep. But yeah. it's all the other things, the queries, the results set from other things, the hashtags, all of that with the Spring Hill Gateway and what we can do with predicates and filters. Yep. We can now route all of that type of traffic to the Justin Bieber servers. That's the model that's in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That big generational <laughs> uh, change for me from what I was doing with Zool to what I was doing with Spring Hill Gateway. And so, I'm sure Elon Musk does that for himself now. Yeah. He gets his own yeah. service. Well, we saw it. It's open. Yeah, we yeah. saw that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Elon. If Elon send yeah. the traffic here. So, so <laughs> once you've matched, um, when you're doing configuration and you list multiple predicates, they are logically anded together. So they all have to match. Okay. If you're doing the Java DSL in both WebFlux and MVC, you can then do and or not any Boolean logic that, that you want to. So you could match, you know, this host or this host can go here. Mm -hmm. um, and there are lists and other configuration that, that you can do. But once you match, now that you've matched, we have a route. A route can be configured with filters. And a filter um, can alter the request mm -hmm. that you send to the downstream service or the response back from the downstream service yeah. to the client. That's that pretty cool. The request body or the headers, or I can do pretty much anything. So the, yeah. if you change anything except the body, especially in WebFlux, well, even both versions really, then the streaming all still happens. As soon as you do the body, mm -hmm. then you have, um, it's just a warning. You've now constrained yourself to memory because the body has to be yeah. read mm -hmm. in yeah. to do it. Yeah. That'd be cool. I wonder if are there's But it is useful. People do it all just, the time because yeah. they requested it and yeah. and we made it happen. Yeah. But, uh, I'm just wondering, based on some requests, could I then return some like HTML? Like here's the here's the generated HTML for whatever request you're requesting. In fact, some of one of the other features that came from the commercial team was to cache some responses oh, yeah. using the Spring Cache framework. Right. Right. So you 
could potentially make a request to the gateway, and if it meets certain parameters, mm -hmm. it never goes to the downstream service. Wow, and that that could be really big in scenarios where, like, um, maybe a maybe the gateway's closer to the request. The, the service is maybe further away. So now you're introducing that latency, but if you yeah. can or, catch that and say, don't don't make that request, you know, it'd be a quicker response. Or it's expensive. Point. Or right? it's expensive, yeah. Right. Whatever work is the downstream service is doing, yeah. given LLM, given these yeah. given these parameters, it's gonna be the same, so right. let's just return it. Right, right. That's yeah. pretty cool. Skip the work. Uh, that's, again, uh, I forgot about that use case, right? We talked about it in the past, and no, like, you, you forget. So one of the things I like about this conversation is it's always a refresher. So everything that we do on spring office hours, we bring in somebody and they're like, oh yeah, let's, yep. let's start. Dan does a great job. Let's level set. But it's always a refresher. It's always great going back and just reminding ourselves, here's what we have. We got a lot of tools in our tool belt. Let's, let's remind ourselves some of the good ways that we can use them. So I get goosebumps. This is why I get, uh, see that? <laughs> That's why I can't play poker uh, because I'm reminded that expensive call, and now I can handle that at the gateway. Uh, and it wasn't that long ago where I was, yeah, dealing with customers that are, are running that hardware solution that's still ticket-based, and they were getting excited over just, we can just handle it. Like, get pass, star, slash, star, star, send it to me, and I'll do the routing, because I can do it with a config, I can do it in YAML, and I can do a git change, and it's there. And the, the night and day difference of being able to take things to production when you have something as simple as that, it makes all the difference in the world for everything else that you do. When you find like, oh, look at the super yeah. modern and easy solution provided to us by Spring Boot, Spring Cloud, all the things that we're doing, and then they look, everything should be this easy. Everything should be like this. Now we can really do things. Mm -hmm. Combined with all, all the, you know, everybody's modernizing, trying to get yep. upgraded. Yeah, it just it sets the stage for a really good, happy path going forward. Love it. The other bit that is kind of fundamental is now that I have a request, where on earth do I send it? Yeah. Right? And so support for the service discovery abstraction in Spring Cloud allows you to plug in That's great. whatever mechanism you want to find and load balance Service. instances against, right? <laughs> right. Whether that's Eureka, console, Zookeeper. That's great. If you are in Kubernetes or TAS and you don't have that kind of level, mm -hmm. they still have a mechanism where you can route to, you know, the service domain in Kubernetes or the, uh, I forget what it is in TAS, the, Anyway, host name that Taz gives you for all the instances of a yep. service behind its its load balancer, but yeah, it it really doesn't matter. And all you reference is a is a service Some kind ID, of name, yeah. yeah. Or you can do it via configuration because if none of those things exist, but you still don't want to hard code a list of servers, say you just have two or three and they're kind of static, mm -hmm. you can list them in the simple discovery clients configuration. Or and a Spring you, Cloud config server somewhere. Or a config server, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what, it doesn't matter where that config right. is located, right? Right. Um, 
Yeah, and then you could refresh them if you cool. got a new one or if it, you know stuff like that. So it can be from the very complex to the very simple, but the way you reference that location stays the same. Cool. So I have a couple things to end this when we, we talk about like resources with Spring Cloud Gateway, but I did want to get your opinion on something because we talk about, um, as we got closer to Spring Boot 3, Spring Framework 6, we talked a lot about how this was one of the most um, biggest projects the entire Spring team was able to take on. And we talk about it a lot, but we, ne we weren't there firsthand. And you were on the Spring team. You went through this with Spring Cloud. Just kind of let everybody know exactly how much work went into being able to be able to provide like uh, ahead of time compilation for the portfolio projects out there. So one of the fundamental things for Spring Framework 6 that I don't think gets talked about is it is the first generation of Spring Framework that the intended consumption, that the primary consumption of Spring Framework is through Spring Boot. Mm -hmm. The previous generation was still built for those, mm -hmm. I mean, it's still supported, but Framework 5 you could use in your EJB container just fine, and it was built for that or Spring Boot. This is the first one where the primary target for consumption is Spring Boot. I never really like took that into consideration. Yeah. That, like, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Um, my default is that. So, sure. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think from sense. the Spring team, it's very, very easy. Yeah. Um, so with that, there were four if we were just doing one of these four things, they were all huge. <laughs> <laughs> the Java 17 baseline yep. is huge. Yeah. Yes. And I'm so happy because I was part of the 8 baseline, and when I could use the features in Java 8, I was so excited. Yeah. And I finally now I can use features that have come up through between. Yeah, this isn't 17. just for you guys. Yeah, this yeah, is for the, awesome. the spring team as well. <laughs> but and then that's like language features beyond runtime features and everything. Right. So that's huge. If it were that alone, huge, huge amount of work. Yes. Jakarta EE. Mm -hmm. I mean, on and end user side, I, I upgraded Eureka server to Jakarta EE, right? Mm -hmm. A huge portion of it was search and replace javax.servlet, jakarta.servlet, right? J javax.persistence, you know, or javax.inject to jakarta. For most users, that's fine. For a framework, <laughs> Different story? Yes, because <laughs> it's not only our code. Right. So there's a, a picture that, that Dave Sire had drawn that there was Spring Framework was the tree trunk. Mm -hmm. And the roots were 
the third-party libraries yeah. that we integrate in Spring Framework, Spring Boot, right? This ecosystem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so all of those have to have a compatible version that right. uses Jakarta EE. Right. Tomcat. Oh boy. Jetty. Yeah. Hibernate. Hibernate. Yeah. Um, anything that touches an HTTP request, a JPA request, anything that integrated with any of those Java EE APIs wouldn't work with Spring Framework 6. And you had no control over these. So were you opening <laughs> issues? Like, do you, hey, oh, yes, they I'm had, assuming this would really help. You know, <laughs> from, from the Spring Cloud side, it was like, you know, Resilience for J or the whatever libraries that we integrated with that had any things. Framework team was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And the boot team, too, because just fundamental things, you know, Makito and testing libraries mm -hmm. and anything that dealt with an HTTP request just didn't work. It failed with class not found, javax.servlet. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. We're on number two. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And our customers are facing this, right? They're, they're wondering, and they're like, hey, here's all the things that we're going to have to do in order to get up to the latest and greatest. It, so it, I'm trying it, to put them in a scale. It will be way easier for end users. Yes. Way easy. Orders of magnitude easier than, than we had. Right? Because you can do, like, like, like you and, and Nate said, Switch to Java 17 in boot two, like without changing any framework, mm -hmm. yep. do Java version, then do this, then do that, right? We couldn't, we couldn't do that. that yeah. <laughs> so, so number three, um, we'll do uh, native AOT, AOT meaning ahead of time compilation. Yeah. So for a few years now, Sebastian Deleuze and friends have been running an experimental project to track this thing. Mm -hmm. And once it got to a certain point, we knew that we needed a major version of framework to be able to integrate it how we wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. The framework team, the boot team, have a particular way of integrating with the ecosystem. Yep. And they didn't want to do anything, what's the term? I don't know, sketchy. I, I get it. I, yeah, they I wanted, they the right wanted to do it right, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, Apple didn't introduce the first smartphone, but they hit it out of the park when they introduced their own, right? That kind of thing. I feel but the on same way about Spring Boot 3. So we wanted to do it well, we wanted it. So they spent a lot of time in experimental. What are the issues? How yep. do we deal with them? Now that we've got it to a point, okay, we're going to start on framework, but it needs to be generic and not limited. Right. So they had to rewrite it. <laughs> and they Spring native, it. that is. So, right? so there was... There's modes of Spring Framework operations, and they have changed over the years, right? Mm -hmm. The first mode was XML config. Mm -hmm. right? Well, I do, not, I do not want to go back to those days ever again. <laughs> then there was 
Java config. Yep. Yep. Much a little bit better. Way better. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what you know Spring Boot uses to great effect. Yep. So they basically introduced mode three, right? Okay. AOT, ahead of time <coughs> right. compilation. And so they created a new runtime mode for Spring Framework. Mm -hmm. And doing many things that were previously done at runtime, at build time, and that the output of that they could then send to the Graal VM substrate VM, mm -hmm. which is the thing that I think it's got a different name now, but Oracle <laughs> Graal VM. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's now part of part of the JDK now. It's yep. not a separate thing yep. anymore, which is perfect. Yeah. Um, to then make an image, native image, a single executable binary that you could run, right? And there are a whole slew of limitations that come with running in that mode. Negotiations. Trade-offs. Tra yes. 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 Trade-offs is probably yes. a better word. Yep. There's a closed world assumption there is anything that might change the, the class path. And so all of these third-party things we had to, if they needed hints sent mm. to the Graal VM, mm -hmm. every project had to then supply those, those hints and things with new APIs supplied by the framework team that boot picked up, auto-configured, and the Maven and Gradle plugins. Yep created source code from those. Yep. And the re one of the reasons I'm asking you about this is because I did a video on just taking a plain job app and using one little line of reflection and having to generate the hints for this. And I was like, wow, just this simple program was not easy. Like, mm -hmm. I can't even fathom so, the work that went into providing those hints. So for we all. made, the Spring Cloud team in particular, had to make some decisions. So in terms of external configuration, mm -hmm. we have two modes, the old uh, bootstrap.yaml mm -hmm. and the new spring config import, yep. right? So we changed in our, we had an extra major where we switched to spring config import was the default. You yep. can still do bootstrap. Mm -hmm. So we had to make a decision that if you want to do AOT native, you can't use bootstrap. Mm. Okay. To just the, the model doesn't fit. Yeah. Config server and Eureka server, you can't use AOT and native with. Right. Hopefully we can get config server. Oh, oh. Yeah, there's a bug in Graal VM that's been open this for a, a year. A new that feature because that I remember asking you config uh, over a year ago, work. like, hey, is config server ever going to be an option? He said, no, we're not going to worry about that right now. And now I'm hearing something different. <laughs> this is just even the glimpse of hope. Yeah, so as soon as they, <laughs> there's kind of a, a major shift in some file system handling that they need to fix. And once they have that, config server should be good to go. Um, but there are things, even with the external configuration, that just don't work because, so for example, you used to be, you can 
in, in normal JVM mode, supply an active profile from config server, and it will load beans from auto configuration yep. locally. That doesn't happen with AOT, not just for config server, but any external configuration, whether that's system properties, right. environment variables, right? They don't have that support. They mm -hmm. could certainly add it. It would be another layer. Basically, you'd have to say, these are the profiles I want supported mm -hmm. in AOT, and then it would basically create code for yeah. uh, each one of those. Yeah. But so it would be a, a huge larger... effort to, yeah. to do that. And they may do that in the future. But anyway, so... That's three. That's three. That's three. <laughs> we're we're yep. to three. And four is observation. Right. So prior to uh, Spring Cloud 2022 and Boot 3, we had a project called Sleuth. I named it. I was happy with that name. <laughs> but it was the single place that we instrumented all of these spring projects and everything to do distributed tracing. Mm -hmm. And there were limitations in what we could do because we were the leaf nodes. Yep. So the change was we are going to externalize um, tracing move it way up the stack so that it is now fundamental to all of not just spring but you know the reactor and friends above mm -hmm. so it eventually landed in micrometer tracing and observation which i don't know if you've spoken to marcine or tommy or jonathan or jonathan yep. right the, they'll the, I was happy I was not on their team because <laughs> they had so much work and to do. Because for everyone else, it was compatibility with downstream. They had to create, or upstream, I don't know how it They had to create the new thing yes. that everybody implemented. <clears throat> and not just the framework, this was a, an API that the framework was going to use and the end user of any Spring project. And you know, like any library that right. additionally wanted the instrumentation, because right. a lot of micrometer is very popular, and so yep. to be able to just add, use a new API, you get observation through that library as well. Yep. So the whole ecosystem, really. Yep. And that was so much work for them. And I just, I can't fathom it. So any one of those <laughs> four, would have been huge and we did all four in a year and it wasn't an easy undertaking it took there was a lot of work that uh predates the year that you exactly had. yeah like the native yep. stuff and and it continues right our our organizations that have adopted it and they're using it they're using things like spring for graphql and we have now all these new observability concerns, but again, Spring Hill Gateway yeah. is going to be a part of that conversation yep. because, yeah, we're moving away from some of our RESTful endpoints towards these more advanced, more flexible GraphQL uh, types of offerings, yep. 
And again, spring coffee gave me some. But it was a big undertaking, and it still gets better. Yeah. I'm amazed at how fast the spring teams and spring projects are moving. It's a miracle that that all of that work went in and got out in a year. So, again, we say this all the time, and I just wanted you to hear it from the spring team (laughs) that we're not just blowing smoke up the project here, but it it was a huge undertaking. Had not just work things going on, we had huge life things yeah. on my team happening too and it Pan- pandemic issues were were yeah, at the I mean, beginning I, of that I'm, so <laughs> i just i i got covid just almost exactly a year ago and was coughing for 3 months <laughs> and one of the symptoms just yesterday the doctor said you've graduated that symptom is not a thing anymore and so nice and like it wasn't just me like mm-hmm. the four of us on Anyway, I mean, there's a lot. There was a lot of life things. Yeah. Daniel said, I tried Gateway to bundle data from three existing application servers. And mind you, I've never used Gateway before. It just worked. Took only about one hour. (laughs) Thank you, Daniel. That's awesome. I love to hear it. uh, One few months ago, I was looking, I can't remember what it was, someone on Twitter, and there was uh, a blog post from tinder about their api you know what and what? they use api gateway they yep. use spring <laughs> cloud gateway and i was like Across my- how yeah. about that yeah <laughs> spring cloud gateway helping yeah. people find love yeah. <laughs> uh, edu says spring team is amazing a ayab uh says, edu yeah. you're awesome yes. thank you for edu being a awesome. spring huge contributor it did and it continues to do so yeah and it has it has evolved. I mean, from the project that's, you know, 20 years old to be oh, yeah. 20th, relevant to 20th, an- 20th anniversary yeah. this that's year. That's the one spring that freaked, freaked me out. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, spring Boot was revolutionary to me for two or three reasons. Um, auto configuration yes. is was that when I saw it the first time, I was like, this is brilliant. That and Spring Boot Starters for me was just yeah, like, starters, I don't have to like figure out cur- all of these things. Curated <laughs> yeah. sets of dependencies mm-hmm. was the other one. And it's still getting better. The, yeah. the other thing I'm, I want to add, like the thing that I'm excited. So last year at this time, I was really excited. I was playing with Spring Native, and I was kind of like heading towards the, the new release. Again, I get these... <laughs> and uh, but right now I'm playing with Spring CLI, Southerner. Oh yep, doing, yep. And having this other way of interfacing with Spring and all of our Spring applications, creating and updating and maintaining all these other things, I am super excited about that. And yeah, and that's gonna be my thing. Hopefully, There's, this time next year we'll be doing something new, and that'll be GA. Yeah, the initializer is day zero. Right? Yep. And we haven't really had a day two tool. Mm -hmm. And I know that in tap, there's what's the the feature? The app accelerators. That kind of gets there. Yep. 
But even like in the Node ecosystem, if you want to add a dependency to a project, npm install, whatever this yes. is, yeah. that would be great for the Spring ecosystem. Like I'm in a right. project, npm the add, you know, whatever Accelerators have to be so generic yeah. that to create one is, I mean, I'm going off of Brian Baxter's experience. Yeah. He's, he's our resident yes. Kubernetes expert yep. Yep. And, uh, in the cloud team. And he's like, it's very, very difficult. And so when, <laughs> when I saw, in fact, it was at the, the conference I got COVID mm -hmm. <laughs> in Toronto where oh, Mark presented yes, that. We were all there and, and we saw Ryan and Mark hacking on CLI stuff. And there. <laughs> so to, when I saw that presentation, I went, this is now yep. the spring day two yeah, tool. It really yeah. is. And I, in my head, I've got this vision of the, the spring modulus. And yeah, the way watching, that we're going to be yeah, yeah. delivering uh, our getting started guys and having these examples. Well, and the, and the way that, you know, again, initializer can do a few things, but now I mean, there's things that we've always wanted to do with even Spring Cloud. Like if you have Eureka, well, there's boilerplate configuration that everybody should be using mm -hmm. to plug it in. Yeah, uh, and it's been hard to do, but a really great example of that is the Spring Boot Docker Compose support. If you choose that and say a Postgres database, it writes a Compose file for you. Yes. that's the kind of stuff that it but would be nice it, to have. It gets a little more. Yes, you could then go back and say add it. But again, yes. the initializer, and we want to we want to keep. Yeah. It is meant to bootstrap a project, yeah. not it generate. But that's why day one. two yeah, is yep, yep. we need it as a separate project. Yep, so I totally agree. Yep, we are. Over time. Yep, I have two things I just want to talk about before we close out yeah. with, with Simon here, and that's just, okay, Spring Cloud Gateway, there is an open source version. Yep. Is there a way for folks to get involved? How can they get involved? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, I mean, we have so many open issues <laughs> that uh, if... Do know, we have some labels in there, like good for first-timers? There are, yeah. All right. Um, that's always a great place to start. Help wanted tag as well. Um, yeah. All right. I mean, and even if it's documentation or, or anything. And just using it, telling, giving some feedback on use cases yep. and filing issues, great, great, great way to get involved. Um, resources for learning about Spring Cloud Gateway. What's the next step? You want to get started with it? Where's the best place to start? That's a great question. I imagine Spring.io. That's where I would start. So yeah. yeah Spring.academy. Mm -hmm. Spring.academy. The Tansy Developer Center, I'm sure, has some resources yes. on Spring Cloud Gateway. I think that the Spring Cloud Gateway content that's on Tansy Developer Center is going to be moved and upgraded and land at Spring.academy. Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. I know Josh has done Spring Tips on yes. Gateway. Cool. I mean, I've done, I don't know how many talks I've done that I've given over the years about Spring Cloud Gateway. Well, there we go. YouTube, Spencer Gibb, Spring Cloud Gateway amount of resources indeed all right so then that's you where can we find out more about you what are you um i'm on twitter at spencer b gibb right. uh spencer gibb at let's see sdf.social i think on mastodon all right 
Cool. Well, Spencer, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks I feel like I've learned a lot today. <laughs> um, it was great to talk to you. And we're going to be keeping an eye out for what's coming in Spring Cloud Gateway. I know Deshaun and I have some, some plans to do a little bit more work with Spring Cloud Gateway this year. So we're looking forward to it. We'll be bugging you on Slack as we do everyone. Perfect. <laughs> um, all right. But with that, if you have any more questions about Spring Cloud Gateway, get them in and we'll see if we can't answer them on a further episode. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Here, thanks.